0: So we've been in this series, um, well, this We've been in this series for two weeks here. This is only our second week. We've been at 10.30. The other services have been in this series for a while, Name Above All Names. Um, So go back and listen online if you haven't, or maybe you were in the room for some of them. We've been looking at the names of God in the Old Testament, how he reveals himself to his people and to us in Scripture, and what that tells us about his character. So I'd really recommend go back and listen to all of those. Um, They're all online, and you can listen. I mean, I actually don't know the list, so I'm not going to do the list, but there's lots of good ones about who God is. Now... I was a little bit, I, I feel a little bit stitched up, if I'm honest, with the topic that I got today, because some of the others, I don't want to say they're easy topics, um, they're easy topics, yeah. whereas I have been landed with Yahweh Tzid canoe, which will maybe mean nothing to you, but what it is, is God our righteousness. Now, this means I'm going to make a few caveats at the beginning of this um, to like set the scene for where we're going to go. because. Righteousness in the Bible is a really strong theme throughout the whole of Scripture, but it's unbelievably complex. So it has lots of different aspects to it. It has lots of different meanings. It might bring up, if you hear the word righteousness or being righteous, it will probably bring up different reactions in you of what you're thinking of. Um, and so what we're going to look at today is not even going to scratch the surface of righteousness in the Bible, okay? So what might come to mind for you, I can almost probably guarantee that's not what we're going to look at today. So don't mean, that doesn't mean that your thought of righteousness or righteous does, isn't right. It just means that I'm looking at a different side of it. So let, it's almost like, you know, a diamond is one thing, but it has lots of facets. So we're just going to look at it through one facet today. And today we're going to basically look at the relationship between righteousness and justice in the character of God. So, we're going to do that by looking at two words in particular. We're going to look at the word sadak, which is the root word for righteousness, and where that word, said uh, canoe, God our righteousness, comes from. And then we're going to also look at the word mishpat, the word for justice. Now, the name God our righteousness, Yahweh, said comes up only twice in the, in the Old Testament in Hebrew, and they're both in Jeremiah. So the first one is in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. So we're going to read that. I'm actually not going to read it from my Bible because I've lost. This is, this is what happens, I found, when you have a one-year-old. You lose. That's her in the Bible. So I'm just going to leave that. Got it on my... <laughs> Got it. What do they say if your Bible's falling apart, your life's not falling apart? Let's stand on that truth. Thank you, Scout. Right, Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. The days are surely coming, says the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous, and there's one of the uh, derivative words from the root for righteousness, branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness, Yahweh Tzadkanu. And then the second time is in Jeremiah 33, which we're not going to read because it's actually basically exactly the same thing again. So time is of the essence, so we'll leave that one. or you can look it up yourself. So what we find here is that justice and righteousness are really closely connected in the heart of God. And in order to understand one, we need to understand the other. So we're going to take a moment to just look at those two concepts, justice and righteousness, in the Old Testament. And I don't know about you, but righteousness isn't necessarily a word that I use super often in my vocabulary. Or, like, I don't necessarily describe someone as being righteous. Like, I might say, oh, they're a great person or whatever. But to talk about someone being righteous for me brings up, like, thoughts of, like, 18th century men or something. You know, oh, he was a righteous man. Or, like, someone in a Jane Austen novel or something. Like, it feels like quite an old word that we don't really use today. But if we want to understand righteousness, like, one thing that might come to mind is about being a moral person, like, a good person but in the Bible, we see a slightly different take on what righteous, righteousness means, and so if we want to understand fully who God is as our righteousness, we need to set aside our ideas of what righteousness is in order to submit to what scripture might say and to expand our vision of what righteousness might be, so we need to make an adjustment there. We need to submit to the biblical vision, so righteousness in the Bible, so anytime that we see righteous or righteousness translating the old testament it comes from this root word sadak which is righteous or righteousness and what that means is like to be made right or to be uh, to be right to be cleansed and these three words are the three words as you will have seen in the jeremiah um, verse that we see kind of come from that root. they all come from that one meaning but overall what we get from this root word is that it means to be the perfectly righteous so for God to be God, it means that he is the perfectly righteous one. So this is about his standard of perfection. He has no fault. He has no flaws. He is perfectly righteous. And this is his standard of perfection for the world. But in the Old Testament, we, it expands this understanding. It's not just about a state of being, this thing of like he is good, but it's actually an outward, an outward force from him. So at its bo- most basic meaning, what Yahweh said canoe means is that it's an ethical standard of right relationship. So it expands it from just being about him and his existence or us and our existence as being good but expands it into saying this is about if you're in right relationship with someone so if I have righteousness if I am righteous it's because I'm in right relationship with you it's because I'm in right relationship with God so it's always about going outwards from yourself starting there and going outwards so a more helpful English translation might be to like to do right by someone. I don't know if you've ever used that term. So about treating others as they deserve to be treated, as the image holders of our perfect God. So with Yahweh Tzedekanu, it's not just about his standard of perfection and him being perfect in all ways, but it's also about his right relationship with himself, but also with us as humans. And I want to stop there for a second because I feel like you might be sitting here in the room and you just need to hear that. You need to hear that God is perfect. You need to hear that God is good because you've been questioning whether he can be trusted. You've been questioning whether you have a good God. And this tells us, Yahweh Tzedekinu, that he in his very being is perfect, which means that he in his very being is trustworthy. And that you can reach out to him because of his righteousness, because of his goodness, and because he is trustworthy. Now, in order to expand that understanding a bit more, we need to look at another word, mishpat. So, mishpat is the biblical, the Hebrew name, the Hebrew word for justice. Now, justice, if righteousness maybe isn't a word that we use super often... Justice, on the other hand, is something that I think our world is really concerned about right now, rightly so. You know, the fight for justice, the fight for a just cause. We want to see our world be one that is full of equality, fully flourishing, fully right, where people are able to have fully op- full opportunities and no oppression, no poverty, all of that. But we might not all define justice in the same way. So how I define justice might not be how you define justice. How the church defines justice might not be how the world defines justice. How this culture defines justice might not be how that culture defines justice. So again, we need to submit to the biblical vision of justice. And what we're going to do is look at two brief um, legal words that kind of bring that to life, that tell us about what biblical justice is. Now, when I was growing up, we grew up in I grew up in Switzerland, and my dad was a vicar, and we lived so basically the way it worked we had this big townhouse and the church was we met separately but we had offices and church space on the ground floor in the basement and we lived above there so we had the floors above there and um We, our church, ministered to expats primarily, so people who had come from other places mainly for work, and they came and they worshipped with our community uh, in our church. Um, And there's one thing, I mean, actually we have a lot of expats in the room, so you might relate to this, but there's one thing I've learned about expats, as I was one myself also, is that we love a home comfort. So there are certain things that if you go and live somewhere else, you can't get there. So... We had this in in our church. So we, in this building that we lived above, we had this shelving. And basically people would come from wherever they came from and they would import. I don't actually know if this was legal, but we did it. They would bring, like, so the British would bring tea. That was the big one. You couldn't get tea in Switzerland that people liked. Or the Americans would bring, like, certain cookies or whatever and all of this. So we'd have, like, different things and they would stock it there and people would come. Maybe they'd come for a meeting and they think, oh, I've run out of tea, buy their tea bags, put the money in the pot and they go home and have a nice time with their tea. Um, And it was all very honest and it was all wonderful and great. Now, one day, um, sweets appeared in our little shop and as I said we lived above and as a seven-year-old that was well the temptation was too great as you can imagine so, I began to realize that no one was monitoring the sweets and no one was monitoring who puts money in for the sweets. So, sure, I will help myself to the sweets. So, every now and then I would go down. I'd just take enough that it wouldn't be noticed, you know, obviously. And then I would go and I, we had this downstairs toilet. And I'd go and sit and lock the door in the downstairs toilet and I'd eat my sweets on the toilet so that no one would find me. And um, now that was the beginning of my journey as a petty, petty. <laughs> thief really you know um at seven years old um with a sweet tooth um Obviously, what happened was that one day my parents realized what I was doing. They realized that I was taking sweets from the shelf downstairs and was not putting money into the pot for it. And so followed a lesson in morality and, um, well, and crime, really, and what I should not do. And obviously, the following thing that also happened was that I had to spend my life savings paying back the sweets that I had been eating over the past months, which was very sad for me um, and meant that I lost all my money. But right, right. And right, this is, this is one type of justice, isn't it? I took the sweets, I had to pay them back. But then there's a second type of justice, which is restorative justice. And this is what we see in the Bible more than the first one. So this is about ensuring that everyone in a community, everyone in a world in society has the ability and the opportunity to flourish fully and this is what mishpat refers to mishpat refers to both in the bible but nine times out of ten so by far the majority of times it talks about this second type this restorative one which is about me making other people's problems my own me looking out for the greater good the good of the others the people who are vulnerable and oppressed and working for a world where people are being taken advantage of can be can be given their dignity back and can flourish once more So biblically, this is a beautiful prophetic vision. This is a society that takes care of the vulnerable. Specifically in the Bible, we see the widow, the poor, the orphan, people who have no security, giving them security. All of humanity fully flourishing and able to fully live abundantly. So if we bring those two concepts together, I've forgotten about my slides, guys. There you go. There you go. Um, so let's bring these two concepts together. Righteousness, tzedakah, is a standard of right relationship. And if we bring that together with justice, mishpat, this is the action taken in order to ensure that relationship and to uphold it. So we're going to look now a little bit about what that looks like in the person of God, in God, our righteousness. And we're going to look at it in three quick places in the Old Testament. Firstly, God's uh, promise to Abraham with his covenant. Secondly, we're going to go circle back around to that, that passage in Jeremiah. And thirdly, we're going to look at Jesus on the cross. So firstly, God's promise to Abraham. So, when we read Genesis, we know the story. We are created as the image bearers of God to reflect God to the world, fully in relationship with God. But we turn away from that and we decide that we're going to redefine right and wrong, redefine good and evil to our advantage and not to the advantage of others. And so we begin to create, humanity begins to create societies and a world where I look out for the good of me and my group at the expense of you and your group. And we stop walking in righteousness with the Lord. And we stop creating worlds that are full of justice and mishpat. And then we get to Abraham. So God decides that he's going to deal with this problem by choosing to single out a family, this family of Abraham. And in Genesis 12, we read about this promise. The promise of the blessing that will come from the people of Abraham. So God says about Abraham, Abraham will become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. This promise is that all nations, the world, all of humanity is going to be restored to that blessing from Genesis 1, restored to the blessing of the garden, fully in right relationship with God and fully bringing others into that right relationship with themselves and with God. They are called to live in that relationship with God, reflect that to the world and bring other people in. And what that looks like is they're to operate with a different value system to the nations around, a different way of understanding justice and righteousness. They're demonstrating a different form of that as they interact with each other, as they interact with other nations. That life that they create in their relationship with God will overflow and will bless everyone else. And I don't know about you, but I, I see this desire in our world. I see this desire, this God-given desire for justice, to see justice done. And I believe because we're created as images of God that, that come that is of God. But the problem is, is that we've divorced that, we've taken that away from its source. Because justice isn't a a thing on its own, it's not a standalone concept, it's not a standalone um, society that we want to create for our own good, but it's in communion, it's linked with the right relationship with God, and linked with right relationship with one another. And so I long for a world where people come into that right relationship so that we can create this world that the Lord has called us to, but not set apart from its source, not taken away from that life source of Yahweh, our righteousness. And Israel were called to reflect that. And we see that over and over again in their story. They were taken out of slavery in order to experience God's righteousness once again and to experience his justice. But they fell short again and again because they couldn't carry the weight of that perfection. They couldn't carry the weight of that righteousness. In the desert, we see God gives them the law, the Torah, which is an embodiment of justice, an embodiment of mishpat, a way to ensure that right relationship is upheld. And yet again and again, they turn back to idolatry. They reject God. And so then we get to our point of the Jeremiah passage that we read at the beginning. And the context for this is that after King Solomon's death, God divided the kingdom of Israel into north and south as a consequence for King Solomon's and the nation's idolatry and because they rejected God once again. And so Judah is in the south and Jeremiah is a prophet speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. And these are the final moments of the kingdom of Judah before they go into the 400 year of exile before the messianic king Jesus comes. And so at this point, they are living in turmoil. Their society is broken, they are constantly breaking the um, the, the covenant, the covenant. expectations that God had put on them this good this good Torah that was meant to lead them into justice and into righteousness they keep breaking it they have worship of other gods they have corrupt leaders and failing priests and failing prophets and they have horrific social injustice and oppression of the vulnerable and disadvantaging everyone and exploitation of people sound familiar at all they were not living up to the standard of relationship that God had put for them and so there's justice that was meant to flow from that And so God needs to deal with this problem, right? And so then we get to this passage, and this is where we read the prophecy of a king that is to come. And I'm going to read it a second time, but I'm going to read it in um, the message translation this time. Time's coming, God's decree, when I will establish a truly righteous David branch, a ruler who knows how to rule justly. He'll make sure of justice and keep people united. In his time, Judah will be secure again, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name that they'll give him, God who puts everything right. The God who puts everything right, Yahweh said, Kanu, God our righteousness. Jesus Christ will be the human embodiment of this God who will take on the weight of what humanity cannot carry in order to lead them to life. There's a Hebrew scholar called Bruce Waltke who talks about this common theme of righteousness throughout the Bible. And he says this, The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. The wicked, the opposite, are those who are willing to disadvantage the community in order to advantage themselves. Now, second confession from me for this morning. um, Well, it's not really a confession. It's just something you might not know about me and and my family, is that the Hamilton family are F1 followers, F1 supporters. I'm looking to John, who's also one. What would you call yourself? Fan. F1 fans! We are F1 fans. Now, this might, if you know my husband Colin, this might not surprise you of him, but you might be slightly more surprised that I am also a fan. Um, but this all started, I mean, many things start in lockdown, don't they? But this all started in lockdown. I don't know how many of you have watched Drive to Survive on Netflix. Quite a lot of the room! And I'm getting some nods of people like, I know where you're going with this. I also love F1 because of that. Are you a fan as well? Yes, Tan! <laughs> So if you don't know what Drive to Survive is, it's basically behind the scenes of the F1 season. So it follows the drivers and all the drama from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, and they release a documentary about it. Now, Colin has been a fan for a while. He's kind of dabbled in it over the years. Um, but we, you know, came, we had finished whatever we were watching on Netflix last spring, and Colin said, Oh, this is on, should we watch it? So we watched it. And guys, I was hooked. So much so that we watched the whole, this was the third season, we watched the whole, you're a fan as well. You guys all text together, I forgot. And you. <laughs> yes, guys. We should have one big WhatsApp this season. Let's do it. Okay. So, so much. So that we watched the whole third season, which is what came out last year, and then I, in my own time, went back and watched the first season and the second season, and then rewatched the third season because I understood it. I got got all the stories. I was following. So anyway, we're in. So we follow this sport, which is fun. I don't really follow sports most of the time. And um, it's quite the commitment because there's a lot of races over the year and also because the races are quite long. So I guess the honest... Thing for me is that I don't really follow the whole race. I maybe I watch the like first couple of laps and I, you know, get going, lights out, let's go. And then the last couple of laps because that's obviously where you want to know who's going to win. I don't really watch the middle. That's a bit much, that that is too far for me. Um, and there is drama, guys. I mean, the end of last last season is it is it even a sport anymore? Is it just entertainment? I don't know. That's one to discuss later. Um, but what I've learned about F1 is that you have to be a pretty reckless person to be an F1 driver. So, firstly, you have to be reckless because you have to be prepared to put yourself in a car and throw yourself around a race tracker very, very, very fast. It doesn't look fast. Guys, I found out it's very, very, very fast. So you have to be pretty reckless to want to do that in the first place. Secondly, you have to be pretty reckless because you have to be reckless to want to win. Because the way that you win is by taking advantage of other people's mistakes or causing other people to make mistakes so that you can pass them. So you can get past them and you can get ahead and you can take the win. So the whole premise of the race is basically based on people making mistakes and you being able to make the most of that. So in order to win at F1, you have to seek the advantage the disadvantage of the other for your advantage. Now, if you took that into life, I think that's also the case, right? There's constantly people, we're all looking for like, whether consciously or not or, or unconsciously, we think that we have to make, we have to, we have to take. Advantage of other people's weaknesses. Maybe take advantage of other people's mistakes in order to get ahead. Or we benefit from the structures and the institutions that enable us to do that, enable us to advantage ourselves, even if it's at the disadvantage of other people. And what we see in this Jeremiah passage is that God is pointing to a different way, right? Yahweh, said canoe, God in human form, Jesus, is coming to embody true righteousness, And so we might look at the world, we might look at ourselves even, we might look at the people around us and think that they're living this way, living this life like F1, living this life of disadvantaging others. And we realize that it is in some way at the heart of us as humans to lean to injustice. We've got this tension going on where we want to fight for justice and yet we often lean towards injustice and putting ourselves first and putting ourselves as the ones who are going to win. And so I wonder, you might be thinking that, you might think, oh, I look at this world around and I just see the mess, I see the mess in myself. Where I do that, whether I do that intentionally or unintentionally, whether I'm taking part in um, structures or I'm benefiting from things that advantage me because of my privilege at the expense of others. Or you might be at the disadvantage where you feel like you're being disadvantaged and people are taking advantage of you. And you may have that righteous anger that is stirring within you to want to see God's equality, God's fairness, God's perfection come into that. And this passage in Yahweh is that hope, right? It's that hope has arrived. Jesus is coming for the Israelites. For us, Jesus has arrived. Hope is here. We sung about it earlier. Hope is here that that is all going to be made right, that we are going to find restoration, that we are going to find reconciliation, and that the world is going to be put right by God, said Canoe and we see that on the cross. Jesus this branch that we read about Yahweh said canoe in human form embodying that prophetic vision of justice that prophetic vision of mishpat not using his own privilege and his own advantage for himself but laying himself down disadvantaging disadvantaging himself for the sake of the community the sake of the israelites the sake of us the sake of the world. And it comes together in this like mind-blowing, profound, beautiful way on the cross. God wrapped in human form, Jesus Christ, dealing with sin and evil and entering into right relationship. The moment that the judge becomes the judged. The moment when humans can't carry the weight of their own unrighteousness. And so Jesus steps in into their brokenness and carries that on himself and restores right relationship and restores perfection. This is that ultimate moment of Jesus disadvantaging himself for the sake of us vulnerable, broken human beings. Mishpat and tzedakah meet on the cross. God executing true righteousness. His standard of perfection on human sin and and brokenness because he can't look away. But doing it by embodying it himself. Using Mishpat for the poor, the vulnerable, the oppressed. And Paul outlines this beautifully in his letter to the Romans. I'm going to land with this, again, from the message version. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided of the, on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is o- not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. We are righteous before God, friends. We are righteous before God because we are righteous in Christ, and Christ is righteous before God. We are not broken anymore. We are not unworthy. We are not unwanted. We are not filled with a spirit of fear or unfaith. We are chosen. We are righteous. We are worthy. We are filled with the spirit of right mind, of power, of love, of faith, because of Christ's righteousness. That is our righteousness. That is what we stand on. We are made perfect because of Christ's perfection. And not only that, where we are then brought into that right relationship with God. And through that, we are able to live lives of justice. We have received righteousness and justice, not just so that we can live in that, but because we didn't deserve it and so that we can reflect that to the world. Where we encountered Yahweh canoe our response is then to go and seek the righteousness and justice of the world. So where do you need that today? Who do you need to step into right relationship with? It might be God. It might be stepping back into right relationship with God. It might be someone else in your life that you, that you know that you're out of right relationship with. Because, guys, our world is full of cancel culture, right? Our world says justice is the main thing. And like I said, we've divorced that. We've cut that off from relationship. The church is, we're not a people who cancel people because we disagree or cancel people. We step into right relationship. We prioritize right relationship because that is where justice flows from. What might it look like for you to step into that right relationship today? Maybe it's with a housemate who you are, you've fallen out with or you've, I don't know. I remember when I used to live with housemates; the dirty kitchen, drove me crazy. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's your neighbor who had a party last night. Maybe it's your work colleague who you feel like is taking advantage of you, is seeking your mistakes in order to get ahead and take that, that promotion or that just get ahead of you in front of your boss or something. What does a right relationship with them look like? What does it look like to step into right relationship with your spouse who you've fallen out of step with? But also what does it look like for us to have right relationship with the person who makes my clothes on the other side of the world? The communities whose lives are being ravaged because of the climate change and the decisions that I'm making where I'm not living a life of justice, that's putting me out of right relationship with that community. What about the person that we walk past as we walk to church in the morning? We are made righteous in Christ. Yahweh said canoe in human form. And we are called into that right relationship in order to reflect justice to the world. We're called to follow him, to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of the vulnerable and those who don't know him yet. That is what kingdom life looks like, friends. But we can't do it without his spirit. We can't do it without him filling us afresh. And so let's take a moment. We're going to pray and just ask for his spirit to come.